welcome to Milk Tea Cinema Podcast, the show where we talk about some of our favorite films and milk tea. My name is Alyssa. And I'm Gino. And this season, we're talking about movies that are magic. Gino, what did we watch this week? This week, we watched 2010's Inception, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. some milk teas right yes we sure did <laughs> um so our milk teas this week came from tomorrow it's like t-e-a-m-o-r-r-o-w uh like t- like the word tomorrow but tea yes tomorrow um this one's a fan favorite of mine yeah i like uh, the little t-rex yeah that comes um, on the cup so it's located in south pasadena my hometown and it's relatively new i Mm. am really bummed so growing up like we didn't have any boba places in south pass wow i know we had to go to alhambra or like wherever you know but like you couldn't just walk to one Uh and now like you know the kids in south pass they don't know how good they have it these days so it's a really (laughs) it's a really cute place it's a nice place to gather not right now but in the future and in the past, um, it's a good but place not the distant past when you were a kid. No, exactly. The recent past. The recent past. Um, as recent as, I don't know, February. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a really cute space and their drinks are really good. So this week I had their matcha bandera, I think is what it's called. And it's a three layered drink, which was perfect for inception because there's just so many layers of dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and this tea is pretty dreamy. It has <laughs> a strawberry puree at the bottom and then a milk or non-dairy milk of your choice in the middle. And then it's topped with matcha and then you mix it all together and it's just so delicious. And when I mix it all together, you pointed out that <laughs> The dream is collapsing. Exactly. So, but yeah, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Good. How about you? I had what is becoming a favorite of mine, I guess, a jasmine tea mm-hmm. with like a cheese foam topping. Mm-hmm. Um, jasmine tea has a really distinct smell and flavor mm-hmm. and in a really nice way. And um, so I had a layer too. I think that was the thing was like, well, whatever tea we've got, it's got to have layers in it. Yeah. So mine only had two layers. Mine's kind of your standard inception, I guess. Yeah. Um, or no, I guess that would be extraction. And you know what? That cheese foam is pretty dreamy, I think. Sure. <laughs> it's like soft and pillowy. I guess it's more of a cloud than a dream, but. Yeah. But somehow <laughs> I think we associate those two things. I guess so. Anyway, so you liked it. I did. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know what? That's funny because our first, the first tea we had on this podcast was also a jasmine tea oh no kidding that's right and i feel like you've had jasmine tea a lot throughout yeah you're right well i had one for life of pie Uh and i had one for something else too yeah so definitely i recommend tomorrow their food is really good too so just fyi if you're hungry (laughs) it's a cute little block parking can be kind of tricky depending on what direction you're coming from so just be (laughs) mindful of that don't turn into the train tracks that intersect (laughs) The street that it's on. You know what? That's appropriate too. Cause it's like, <laughs> who put a train There's in the train. middle of a, <laughs> well, that's how I felt as I was trying to make the left turn. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> yeah. So it's right there. You know, even if you don't have a car, take the Metro yeah, Gold that's Line. True. That's true. <laughs> or don't, I don't know. It's safe right now, yeah, but, um, true. yeah, it's right on the mission stop Yeah. Uh, on the Metro Gold Line in LA. Um, there's a farmer's market on Thursdays. So it's really nice. Again, I'm really kind of bitter that I didn't have access to this place when I was growing up, but now mm-hmm. we do, so it's fine. Yeah. Go check it out. Okay. Inception. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Inception? <laughs> that sound me too <laughs> bum, bum. i don't know how that's going to translate on it <laughs> should see there's a sound bum, effect for bum. it yeah 
Um, I think at the beginning of the movie, it's just like that bum bum and it's like building right and it's just so intense and it's like yes it gets me so <laughs> pumped when i hear this bump you bumps. were really hype watching this movie yeah. in a way that i haven't seen <laughs> i mean for a movie at least you know what i haven't seen this movie in a while uh-huh. probably a couple years at least and i forgot how good it was this is what it's all about folks i mean this is what I hear, I'm here for, is to see people get excited about movies like this. Yeah. It's called a movie, you know, like, because it moves you. That's not actually why it's called that. But oh, okay. I thought it was because it's a moving picture. Right, yeah. Okay. Like a talkie, a mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. anyway. Uh, so Inception. Did you see it in theaters? Yeah, so I've actually only seen this movie maybe three times. Mm-hmm. I think maybe four, but I, I'm not sure. I saw it in 2010 when it came out, mm-hmm. probably for my mom's birthday, because her birthday is like July 21st, which is usually like right around mm-hmm. when particularly Warner Brothers does like their big summer release. Mm-hmm. So that's always fun. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it on a plane once, which was nice. really great. Yeah, I was like, I have to watch <laughs> this. On a plane. I, was on, I was on like a super long flight. I was on like uh-huh. a 12 hour flight uh-huh. too. Uh-huh. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I remember when Alec Baldwin's character in 30 Rock, he says something like, I don't, I don't ever fall asleep on planes. I'm afraid of getting incepted. <laughs> so that was like a cool 4D experience. And I think this might've been like the third time. Oh, wow. This watch, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I also saw it in theaters. I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters like three times. Wow. Yes. It was the summer of 2010. Uh-huh. I was home from college mm-hmm. and my friends from South Pass, again, uh-huh. another connection yeah. <laughs> to this tea place. Cause I strongly associate this movie with that group of friends Oh, cool! because we saw it together probably three times. <laughs> nice. Well, this one's for you all. Yeah. You're ardent supporters too of the podcast. So yes. This um, one's for you. And so I remember the first time we saw it was at like the, I don't know if it's still there or if it's still a dollar theater, but it was like a dollar theater in uh, Highland park. Oh, and I, so I went because my friends were like, oh, this movie is going to be really good. Like we should go uh-huh. see it. And I, I don't think I even seen a trailer for it. I had no idea wow, what it was really? about. I was so confused. We also went like oh, kind man. of later at night. Uh-huh. So I was like kind of tired and I was yeah. just like, I don't know what is happening. Like I'm, I'm so confused. Yeah. So that was the first time I saw it. I remember walking out of it like, what? Wow. <laughs> like, was I supposed to get that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we saw it again uh-huh. uh, and I was, I, I could follow it more easily. And I'm pretty sure we saw it a third time wow. because we were just like so hung up on like, the ending and like, yeah. you know, just catching all the things that you miss yeah. the first one or two times you see it. So, um, yes, I remember the summer of 2010 very well for this reason, because it was the summer of inception. Um, wow. yeah, it delivers. I think when we were putting our list together, this was like the movie that we were both like, yes, we have to watch inception this mm-hmm. season. Cause it really, is magical. It's a magical experience in a way that's different from some of the other films we've, we've watched so far. Yeah. I think it's good that you're bringing this up because, you know, to me on like face value, I don't know that uh, this movie feels magical to me, but, um, that doesn't mean that it's not. And it was nice to kind of look at it with this lens that we've been looking at all the movies this Mm -hmm. season and say like, okay, well, you know, what is the magic in this? It was nice for me because I think as somebody who's tried to like codify what does movies are magic mean, Mm -hmm. um, I think that this film really speaks to the magic Mm -hmm. that movies have Mm -hmm. in some ways that none of the other movies have so far. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to get into that with you. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Okay, cool. So I think number one, the the premise of like, let's make a movie about dreams. Like dreams are magical. Yeah. If you've ever had a dream. That's true. Like stuff is weird, you know? Um, and so bringing that to life is going to be, I think inherently magical and kind of keeping with the theme of like the magic on the screen being related to the magic in us. Like, I think this movie also illustrates how powerful our minds are and how fragile our minds are and what's real and what's not real is really delicate. Um, and it's kind of like walking that fine line between like reality and unreality, (laughs) Yeah, which I think a lot of the movies kind of do that we've watched 
yeah. so far, right? We, yeah. There's been a lot of questions of like, oh, well, is this really is this really what happened, or is this just a storytelling device, or is this just you know an unreliable narrator or yeah. visual effects or whatever it is, you know? And so this movie definitely gets at that of like what is real and what isn't, and um, and how it how it impacts a person in their mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that in itself is magical yeah. to me. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you think is... I mean, dreams are magical for sure. I think what's interesting about this movie is that there are some elements that feel really dreamlike or mm-hmm. things that we universally associate with dreams. I think mm-hmm. the kick was a big one. Mm-hmm. Feeling like you're falling, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the physics, how things could warp and bend and not really have to make sense mm-hmm. was great um the how did we get here question yeah yeah that's like universal yeah. too i think a lot of dreams which you don't think about obviously when you're in a dream and i think like we've all had that feeling where you like wake up from a dream that felt really real yeah mm-hmm. and it's like either you're mad at someone now because of what they did <laughs> in your dream or like you just feel kind of uneasy like sometimes i even think about like I'll have a memory and I'd be like, wait, did I dream that? Yeah. <laughs> or was that yeah, a real thing? Um, but I think to your point, like definitely one of the biggest pieces of magic in this film is the visuals. Yeah. Uh, I think Christopher Nolan literally built dreamscapes, which is so cool. And we can, and let's get into that. So I think I will say for some reason, like he gets a lot of hate from people and I don't get the hate, but I think part of Mm. it is like, you know, his visuals in a movie about dreams were more, they're kind of practical, right? Mm -hmm. And they weren't like life of pie visuals where things are just kind of more fantastical right? or like a Miyazaki film or anything like that. And I think like, that's part of why this movie worked because like it, it really blurred that line again of like, this could be a real city or it Mm -hmm. could be a dream. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really liked that. I think there were a lot of really cool visual effects. Um, a few that come to mind are like when the uh, when Dom Leonardo DiCaprio's character is talking to uh, Ariadne, the architect, Elliot Page, formerly Ellen Page. Uh, Ariadne's character is kind of like architecting. Right. <laughs> She's building the world, and she like makes the street like turn upside down on itself and it like mirrors the top and the bottom is really cool super cool i think there's definitely like a few kind of iconic moments like the um the paradox staircase yeah Mm -hmm. um the spinning hallway Mm -hmm. uh when arthur joseph gordon lovett is like fighting people in in the hallway of the hotel while the van in the next layer of the dream is like spinning and so like all the gravity just kind of flips on itself right that's a really cool thing so there's just like a lot of really cool visual effects and i know you have more to say about this but i think what's even cooler is like a lot of them were actually built it wasn't like cgi right um it was like he literally built a spinning hallway and he literally built a paradox staircase that like looks one way when you shoot it from one angle and a different way when you shoot it from another angle. Right. Um, so yeah, that stuff is just amazing. Right. I want you to think about that, uh, when you're watching this movie or, you know, you, you see them chasing each other around the staircase and that's really happening. Like they're running on a real live set of stairs, Mm -hmm. you know? And like you said, this is, he, he found a way to make one of those, are they called Escher drawings? Like come to life, mm-hmm. right? Those like paradoxical, in this case, the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, he made that real, you know, and it's not the same exact illusion, but it's an illusion of its own. Mm-hmm. I think that you're right, that there are people who have problems with Christopher Nolan that I don't understand because I think that he has such a respect and a love for the Mm -hmm. craft of making movies. Mm -hmm. And it comes out in something like this, where you mentioned a couple of practical effects, you know, like building a room that spins. Mm -hmm. They also constructed a train to go through downtown. (laughs) You know, the way that works is you had a, some sort of a truck that they Mm -hmm. used as like the skeleton Mm -hmm. and they built using old train parts and different things. They built a train on top of Mm -hmm. it. So it runs on, on wheels. So it can drive through downtown. Yeah. Yeah, That's not CGI. And at some point 
I noticed in one of the making of featurettes, they even added these like marks on the road where like the wheels would have cut into the cement Mm -hmm. so that you don't, you know, the dream isn't, the illusion isn't broken for you. When Mm -hmm. you see it, you might not notice those marks, but like subconsciously your brain kind of fills in the gaps. Like, okay, this train is really moving through downtown. That was really there. Yeah. That's crazy. So crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think we've talked about this before about how like there's sometimes this, uh, argument of like our practical effects better than CGI effects. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I still kind of stand by like, I think it doesn't matter as long as it's done really well. And for this particular film, I mean, they probably could have done CGI and that would have been fine. And we wouldn't have known the difference because it would have been like really high tech whatever but I think again like actually creating it as like a practical effect is that what it's called yeah um it just makes it so much more believable and again it really like blurs that line of like well this is like you are looking at a train going through downtown like right um and even as an audience like you might not know like you might think that's a CGI effect and like it doesn't matter but it's just so cool like (laughs) right that's where you're right in that it works Uh and so on some level it doesn't matter was it this or that Mm because it worked Mm -hmm. you know you don't want the audience to be taken out a lot of times in in movie making it's like if you do your job right people don't notice that you're there at Mm -hmm. all which Mm -hmm. is kind of (laughs) sad but I think to understand the film and why the practical effects are important for them. Mm-hmm. You have to understand a couple of things about Christopher Nolan is that number one, movies are really sacred to him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he believes, and you'll notice this when you see his movies advertised, usually um, that they're advertised as being projected in a particular type of film. Maybe you've seen like 70 millimeter mm-hmm. or um, whatever it might be uh, shot with IMAX cameras. Mm-hmm. He, is leading the charge for continuing to shoot on film Mm -hmm. versus digital. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's merits either way, but his argument is that film is a medium that's been around for a long time. And we understand what film looks like. Digital Mm -hmm. is kind of emerging and that I don't think people really know how to interpret that necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for him, I think he really prizes doing things practically hands-on whenever mm-hmm. possible. And so that's why you get um, him going out of his way to build these things mm-hmm. that, yeah, could probably be inserted with mm-hmm. CGI or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So it's also why I think on a side note, it's it's sad that he had a film coming out this year because he was really insistent on not releasing his latest film, Tenant, on streaming services. Mm-hmm. Like he really, really wanted this to come out in theaters because mm-hmm. that movie going experience is like so important to him. Mm-hmm. Either way, I really appreciate that he's leading that charge because I think that is something that is becoming less important. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's sad because part of the, what makes movies magic is going out of your way to go experience them. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And like that feeling of walking out of a theater, especially for a movie like this, you've been in the theater for like three hours right if you're including previews and stuff like that like at least three hours um maybe it was light outside when you went in and now you come out and it's dark outside and you just kind of feel a little bit like disoriented (laughs) yeah disoriented yeah um yeah i miss that yeah totally maybe someday we'll see tenant in theaters yeah that's the hope that's the hope (laughs) did you have a favorite shot or a favorite scene ah good question you know one thing we haven't talked about that honestly like I think I forget about this because it happens so early on. Mm -hmm. The flooding castle. Mm -hmm. Like in the very first sequence of the film, DiCaprio and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitz are talking to um, Saito. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Watanabe's character in the castle. Yeah. And uh, when DiCaprio gets the kick, he gets plunged into that tub. The Mm -hmm. castle floods. Mm -hmm. That really happened too. They had, I mean, they didn't flood like a real historic castle, but they had like a set that was built. Mm -hmm. And they had these like giant water cannons on the side, these like tanks full of water and cannons to like propel the water at mm-hmm. him. And I can't tell from the feature. I think it's really Leonardo DiCaprio, like standing there in the middle of the room, just getting soaked with like pummeled with water. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, there's a name for things like this. They're called set pieces and it's not like physically oh, this is a place, like mm-hmm. a, in a studio, necessarily. I mean, it could be, because in, in this case it is. 
but a set piece is kind of like a, a part of a film where like a big action sequence takes place. Right. So I think that sometimes people like film critics get hung up on like, I don't know, there's a lot of set pieces. So that means it's kind of pulpy and kind of mm-hmm. like dumb action movie. And in this film, there's a lot of set pieces, right? Because mm-hmm. all the things we just talked about yeah. would qualify as those. But like when they're done this well, like, and how, like how can you get upset at when that? When you're a movie <laughs> about a dream, like you got to make things yes. that aren't necessarily pre-existing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Did you have a favorite shot? Yeah, I think the one, and I don't know why, but this get this gets me every time is when Dom and Ariadne are in, in that French cafe and they're just like sitting there in the at a table and then the, the stuff starts blowing up like the flower stand and they're just like yeah like um, popcorn and it's kind of like slow motion I don't know I can't describe how there's just a feeling that I get when I see that where I'm like wow that's cool yeah do you know if that was a, a you know, special that one I don't know about yeah. I'm not sure I don't know either but it's really cool it's almost like a painting, like a moving painting. Yeah, totally is. Um, so that shot always stands out to me. Okay, so I think number two, the second biggest piece of the magic is the music. Okay. So Hans Zimmer was the composer Yeah. for this movie and for a lot of movies. If you look at like his... Um, what's it called? Like filmography yeah, on uh, IMDb or something. <laughs> it's so funny. Cause he's done a lot of like children's animated movies, but then he's huh. also done like inception. <laughs> yeah. That's more what I know. Yeah. The action movies. Um, his music is so good in this film. When you were talking about how you watched it on a plane one time. So there was, I think in, so in 20, 2013, 14, I lived in New York and it wasn't, the best experience. (laughs) And so I remember I was coming home. I had moved to New York in like August of 2013. Um, and I didn't come back to LA until like March or April of 2014. It was the first time I was coming home. Um, and I remember when I was like, I like timed it so that like I was listening to the music from like the very end when Dom is like, when they're waking up from the dream and he like lands at LAX and yeah. he's like going through like customs and all of that. Wow. And I timed it so that like it would, I could listen to it while I was landing at LAX <laughs> and it just felt so like triumphant. That music feels like coming home. Yeah, totally. Like that music feels like you won something and it just like, it's so good. Um, so, you know, aside from like the booming, like, bum, bum, <laughs> uh, there's also some really moving pieces, like really emotional pieces yeah. in his mm-hmm. uh, score. And I think there's also like this, the score is so good because it really helps build the suspense. Yeah. Yeah. It really heightens the tension. Yes. To that point, I'll say I'm obviously I'm a big Hans Zimmer fan. He does mm-hmm. a lot of the movies that I love and he does a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, too. I think similar to Spielberg and John Williams kind of relationship they have there's only like one or two that they haven't done together Mm -hmm. you know what's interesting so this isn't my own information but i'll direct you guys to the imaginary worlds podcast where they talk about the bouge yes and this is that noise that you hear something that i learned from you i i hadn't heard about it so briefly like in the last 10 years you see trailers advertised with that giant thundering Mm -hmm. horn kind Mm -hmm. of undercutting stuff Mm -hmm. and i guess the thinking is like that it kind of elicits a physical response. It, it triggers your like fear mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same sort of frequency as like a thunderclap or a mm-hmm. lion's roar. Mm-hmm. So it's designed to make you, to put you on edge. Mm-hmm. And he uses that, Hans Zimmer uses that in his score here to that same effect, like from the very beginning. Yeah. I feel like this was one of the first, like, is did it originate with this? Score? That I'm not sure. Okay. But I feel like when this was advertised, yeah, it definitely was. And and since then, a lot of films have been advertised that way. Right. And before that, if you look back at those trailers, not as much. I was gonna say, I feel like I've noticed it more in mm-hmm. trailers. That it's they becoming use, cliche like, now because I think yeah. about it as like the Inception music. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, yeah, it's just it's super epic. Um, yeah, he makes each scene feel epic. 
I don't know, even the, even the music with like Dom and Maul, like it feels just emotional. Like it's so good. I, I think it's good that you brought up Maul and Dom and their music mm-hmm. as being different. I think one of the things that I realized this time, what was really important for Nolan in this movie is to give it a real emotional set of stakes. So I heard that early on in his drafts of this film, the villain wasn't Dom's wife. It was Dom's partner. Mm. And I don't know if he meant it was Arthur, Mm -hmm. the Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, or if Maul was like a man who was a Mm. partner who like betrayed them or Mm. something. But at some point he was like, no, it's his wife. It's his deceased wife. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what this all hinges on. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is that because when you look at a heist movie or like a James Bond type, which I think are films that this gets compared to, mm-hmm. that he kind of used as inspiration, they don't always necessarily have that like emotional set of stakes. Mm-hmm. And I think he really wanted to draw on the average viewer, not just like the action movie goer. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like on for you, this worked on some level, right? Yeah. Because you're the kind who might not ordinarily. I mean, because at the time, it sounds like you didn't yeah. you hadn't seen it. Yeah, yeah. You weren't really interested in it. Yeah. So now you would, cause you know who Christopher Nolan is, exactly. but at the time, like you were not the person who would ordinarily goes to see like a heist spy action. Yeah. Probably not like a purely. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that is interesting is this has been pointed out by folks on the internet is that if you look at the women in Christopher Nolan movies, they don't usually fare well. Actually, this mm-hmm. was something that came up in an interview with him and his brother is that you don't want to be you know, the protagonist's like wife or girlfriend because <laughs> yeah. you end up like dead or, you Betraying know. Betraying somebody. Yeah. Or <laughs> and he said, and you know, this, it feels a little sinister, but I read what he wrote about this, like him explaining that. Mm-hmm. And in a way it's kind of sweet and, and sad. He says like, I start with a really universal fear. And mm-hmm. I start with what for me personally is like the greatest fear. And that's like losing the person that I love the most. Mm -hmm. And so he writes that into all of his movies because it's like, you know, how can you not connect with a person who's in that position? Mm -hmm. I think that really is him kind of projecting himself into the Mm -hmm. stories. Like, this is what I'm really afraid of at my core. And I think a lot of times it works. It gives his his characters more of like, it helps us to connect with his characters. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That makes me think of two things. Um, Number one, just like this movie is so layered, there's so many layered stakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like if he, so like Dom has to complete this job in order to go see, to go home to see his children. Yeah. But then when they get down there, it's like they find out that he's been trained for like intruders and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so that raises the stakes. And then right. Saito gets shot right. and that raises the stakes. Right. And then like, you know, Mal could appear at any moment. Like oh, that yeah. raises the stakes. So there's just like so many like stakes on top of stakes. That's on top true. Of stakes. Yeah. So it's really good at, um, at making you feel kind of invested in each character's like, yeah, um, you know, not true. maybe not as deeply as Dom, who's like the protagonist, the right. main character, yeah. but like, you know, even when the chemist who Yusef, who has like driving the car and like has to navigate all that. And like, so everyone is dealing with something (laughs) to make this, to pull this together. Right. Um, which is really cool, which I think is also why the, as a side note, is also why the ending is so emotional when they're like, yeah, all looking at each other knowingly. Yeah. (laughs) There's something about that. That's just like so emotional to me. I don't know. Um, but the other thing that I picked up upon this viewing was like the difference between a dream and a memory. At one point, Ariadne, when she discovers um, Dom's like dream cage, I don't know, to like the elevator with like the different yeah, levels of dreams. Uh-huh. And she's like, those aren't dreams. Those are memories. Yeah. And it made me think about like one, it kind of, he reminded me of like a character of addiction. Like he's addicted yeah. to this like dreaming mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. world and I think like I wrote out that the difference between a dream and a memory is that dreams are kind of like forward thinking they mm. show you kind of what's possible versus memories are like backward like unchangeable yeah. things that have happened and wow. so I asked the question to myself like why is it so important to dream um, why is it important to him and I think for him it's because he 
wants to be able to change the something like he wants to be able to change the past but i think yeah. for most people like it shows you another way like that something else can be real even if it isn't and yeah. whether that's good or bad right you know there's dreams that we don't want to have there's dreams yeah. where it's like that was really nice yeah. um but it's just it kind of shows you like different possibilities and like in this case you know the whole point of inception is to plant an idea of possibility that yeah. fisher's life could be different right um that his relationship with his dad is maybe not what he thought it was or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the imagery of addiction is definitely there. I think about when they first meet Yusuf, the chemist, mm -hmm. and he shows them what feels a little bit like a heroin den or something. <laughs> All those people who are kind of yeah, yeah, strung yeah. up, yeah. you know, but it also, I think it connects us back to another film that we saw early on in our series, Harry Potter. Mm. because it's a short but really powerful clip where Harry meets Dumbledore. And um, this is when Harry's sneaking out at night to go look at the mirror of mm, Irised, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. shows you your heart's desire. And he talks about, Dumbledore talks about men wasting away yeah. in front of this thing. Yeah. And he says something like, it doesn't do well to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in that, in that den where Yusuf's working on his products, mm -hmm. like that's kind of what's happening to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening in some ways to... Dom as well. Yeah. And you know what? There's a man down there who's kind of like supervising all yeah. those people yeah. hooked up on the dream stuff. Right. And he says like their dreams are their reality yeah. for you to say that it's not. Yeah. Um, it's like a whole other layer. Yeah, exactly. So it's really, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this film. Yeah. It's so good. And like every time you watch it, you get something new. Yeah, definitely. Um, something that I kind of picked up on for the first time watching it with uh -huh. you um was this sci-fi element you know when you look when you google inception yeah. it's billed as a sci-fi thriller or something like it's okay. billed as a sci-fi film and i'd never really thought of it that way i always just kind of thought of it as like a action right drama yeah type of film but i don't think i ever picked up on the fact that like the way people are able to like go into other people's dreams and stuff was actually like a military yeah. um, tactic. Right. And so the sci-fi question, you know, I think this film presents is like, what happens when you militarize dreams? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, slash minds. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me view the film in a different way. Like there's mm -hmm. some people, um, if they could, would just spend all their days dreaming yeah. and like that would become their reality. Mm -hmm. um, some people would use it to steal from people, <laughs> yeah. to exploit people. Um, some people would get lost in their yeah. dreams and not be able to tell what's real or what isn't. Yeah. Um, corporations would use it to like sabotage their competitors. Yeah, like there's just all these different, yeah, there's yeah. like all these different um outcomes yeah so it's really interesting it kind of reminds me totally. of like you know i guess what i'm thinking of is like a like eternal sunshine oh yeah spotless it, mind. it's, it's like yeah. you know what would what what would happen if we could erase people's memories and like the kind of different outcomes for that yeah. Yeah. um so it's kind of a new way a cool new way to look at things and like um in a way it kind of made everything else make sense when I, yeah. when I remembered like that, this is the original intention of this, like, like this is this, the conflict and all of this originated from like a technology that like hmm. people were never supposed to have access to in the first place. And if you militarize dreams or if you, that if there's a way for people to access other people's minds and other people's dreams, like just, chaos ensues right <laughs> yeah at some point that black is what mirror. happens that, sorry that's the that's the <laughs> show i was thinking of like any episode of black mirror yeah, is like definitely. oh well, what if this could happen or like what if we had a technology that could do this so um so that was really interesting and i think because of that there's a lot of tricks you know visually and yeah. story-wise um on the viewer of like is this real is this not it does what my favorite movies do and that is tell a succinct story but also give us the sense that we're stepping into a very rich world. Mm -hmm. I think that this is maybe less so because it feels kind of like it's supposed to be our world, but mm -hmm. just with this one new technology. Mm -hmm. But the more you watch it, yeah, I think you pick up on these things that are like, wait a minute, this was like a, a military program mm -hmm. or, you know, wait a minute, like 
where did the architects come from? Like, mm-hmm. so was, was Dom studying to be an architect? Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of implied that he yeah. was, right? I think like the best, definitely sci-fi movies, like they give you hints that like you're in a world that's existed for a long time mm-hmm. with established rules mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other things happening here and we don't have to tell you all of that. Yeah. And it's better that we don't because then your imagination really runs wild. Yeah. And I think like it also, I think a lot of sci-fi movies or pieces of work are cautionary tales uh-huh. but they also remind you that like if we're not careful this can get out of hand yeah and you kind of start thinking of like the morality of things and the ethics of things yeah. and so i think in that way um yeah that's just something i hadn't considered before yeah. sort of like the ethics of like mm-hmm. you know going into people's dreams or like the implications of like um even what dom did to like his wife like right yeah <laughs> um or what about what they do to Fisher, to right. Zoe Murphy's character? Right. They they kind of screw with his relationship with his godfather yeah, and, and with his him. now deceased father. Like, yeah. So it's intense. The other thing I will say about this is like, and this is, I don't know if you're ready to talk about the ending yet. Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. Are so we ever? <laughs> so throughout the film, different characters... Um, at least two characters, uh, Saito, who talks uh-huh. about taking a leap of faith and Maul talks about taking a leap of faith. Hmm. And that stood out to me this time because I think it comes back to, again, with the past, like, at least with Life of Pi and like Water for Chocolate, we have these sort of like questions of like, is this real or not? And especially yeah. in this film, especially at the end when his totem is spinning and it's like and he's home he got what he wanted and it's like is this real or is it not yeah and so throughout the film they kind of invite you to like well take a leap of faith like i know we just watched this x-files episode very recently yeah with um where with the fungus yeah and uh, Mulder and scully are kind of like tripping on this hallucinogen like literally tripping literally yeah. tripping on this hallucinogen <laughs> or like and, figuratively tripping. um and Scully, I think multiple times throughout that episode is invited to take a leap of faith that like, not everything yeah. is like black and white. Not everything is, um, can be explained with science and, you know, as, as viewers, it's like, you want the ending. At least I do. I think most people do, but maybe some people are weirdos. <laughs> um, you want it to be real at the end. You want yeah. him to come home. You yeah. want them to have completed their mission successfully, whether yeah. it was ethical or not to begin with. Like, right. um, and it kind of reminds me of sort of what we've concluded about the other films is like, I guess it doesn't really matter if he's dreaming or not because he was able to like get past this block and get what he wanted, which was to see his children to come home. Yeah. Um, and to let go of the guilt that he felt about his wife. And so it's kind of inviting you to take a leap of faith of like accepting things that aren't laid out in front of you as like super clear. Does that make sense? I think so. What's your read on the ending? <laughs> well, so I'm glad you asked. My initial take, and I remember telling this to people in fall of 2010, was that um, the t- he's not dreaming and he doesn't wake up. It's neither. The point is that you don't know at the end so that you can go, you can keep going back to see the movie. And that was kind <laughs> of for us It worked apparently. We well, went back and like this is three what times. I also said to people, I said, <laughs> I said, I'm not doing that. I said, I'm going to have the last laugh. I'm not going to go watch this movie again. And you know, I think in the 10 years since I feel like well, I'm cheating myself out of a good movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have the shooting script here mm-hmm. and I have, and in this has, you know, some of, his notes and it does help to explain things a little bit when you read it through Mm -hmm. and you know there's a cool interview where Christopher Nolan is interviewed by his brother Mm -hmm. whose name is Jonathan Nolan who is the showrunner one of the showrunners for uh Westworld him and his wife do that I didn't know that um do you want to know what it says at the end yeah okay here it goes interior kitchen this is Cobb and Maul's house Mm mm-hmm Cobb enters with Miles. That's Michael Kine's character. Mm-hmm. Um, he drops his back. He moves to the table. He takes out his pewter spitting top, lowers it to the table, and spins it. A child's shout makes him look up. 
and this is James and Philippa, his kids, mm-hmm. right? James and Philippa turn, see their dad. He steps to the window, watching their bright faces shining as they run towards him. Behind him, on the table, the spinning top is still spinning, and we fade out. Credits. End. How did you read that? It's hard because you've seen the film. Yeah. And that is what happens. Yeah. I think on paper, like reading it, it makes you think that he's still dreaming. Right. Is how I read it. Yeah. It kind of feels that way. Yeah. But it's also like he wrote it knowing that like it was going to cut there. Yeah. And we don't know if the top stops spinning. Right. So I think it's supposed to be ambiguous. I do too. So I think that my own personal opinion is that he's awake. I I tend, I think like life of Pi. I don't really like the whole like, Oh, but something never really happened all along kind of story. Mm -hmm. And I think for him to still be dreaming is that Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those who's really good at looking for these little clues. Like, Oh, although I did notice a bit this time, like whenever he's dreaming, he's wearing his wedding ring. And in Mm -hmm. reality, he's not that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other little tells like this. Um, I'm just not good at looking for stuff like that. Yeah. I think like the one that got me this time was like, and I, so, okay. Tell me what you think of this. So one of the pro he's still dreaming arguments is like mm-hmm. his kids when he sees them at the end look exactly the same as like how he's been remembering them mm-hmm. like they're wearing the same clothes they're the same age and yeah, i don't know that we true. know um how long he's been away it's never stated yeah no. so it could have been like it, they haven't necessarily aged a ton right but you know they're kind of in the same position that he um has been envisioning them throughout the yeah. movie and to me, I can see that as like, like, yes, that does point to like, okay, well, he's still dreaming. This is how he envisions them. Now yeah. he's just kind of like gotten over this mental block of like, now I can see their faces. Right. But I think it's also a good like visual technique. Like if you've seen them this way throughout the movie and now you finally get to see their faces, right. it's like, whoa, like. I don't know. Because you don't see their faces until the very end. Yeah. Right? Anytime that he's dreaming or yeah. whatever. You and don't so see I don't know faces. if it would have had the same impact if like they looked different, if they were like uh, yeah. not playing in the backyard or like if they were an older age or, you know, I think practically from a movie making point of view, they kind of have to be the same kids at the same age mm-hmm. or else they turn around and it's like, who are Who's you? That? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're just like, well, that's dumb. Right. Yeah. I, you know, to me, I think ambiguity is the point of the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's more fun if we don't know for sure. And I think that's, you know, the whole point of this is questioning mm-hmm. your reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I want to, I want it to be ambiguous more than I want it to be one way or the other, even because mm-hmm. I think it's nice that he gets to wake up and maybe go see his kids and live the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it being an ambiguous story is valuable to me. It's kind of like, I don't know, I'm the kind of person who wants to believe in like, you know, the curse of the Billy Goat, the Chicago Cubs, like Uh how they wouldn't let the goat in. They couldn't win a World Series for 100 (laughs) years or whatever, Mm -hmm. because I just think a world where like stuff like that exists is more fun. Mm -hmm. A world with ambiguous endings is more fun, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to get lost in this limbo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the greatest things about this movie is that it just constantly is that it makes you curious. It makes you question things. Even if the question is like, wow, how did they do that? <laughs> um, wow. Is this real or is this dreaming? I think even as you mentioned, like 10 years later, this is the 10th anniversary yeah. of this film and it holds up. Mm-hmm. The only thing that doesn't hold up is like, which I noticed now I don't love that there was only one woman on their team mm-hmm. and she had to be the one to like, do all the emotional labor of like helping Dom get over his hangups and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just kind of seemed very, um, and she was dope. Like as a character, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Why does it always have to be the woman who has to like help you deal with because your emotions? I don't think any of those men are trained to deal with their emotions. I mean, I guess, do you think yeah. so looking at them? No, well, like, maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's pretty sensitive. Well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's <laughs> a sensitive. I don't know that Arthur is sensitive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but I guess, so the last thing I wanted to talk about, it's more of a question. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'll say this. I think the cast was dope. Yeah. Everyone was really great. I think uh, Elliot Page 
I had only seen them in Juno prior yeah, to this right. film. And, you know, a Diablo Cody film is pretty different <laughs> than a Christopher yes. Nolan film. Um, and they did a great job. Yeah. So even like, yeah, seeing Elliot Page and Leonardo DiCaprio together, like they don't seem like two actors that That's would true. like be in the same movie, but right. it really worked. Yeah. Um, that being said, if you were on this team, you know, they have these different roles. There's the architect, the chemist, the forger. Uh, I don't remember what Arthur's role is. He's the point <laughs> the exposition. person. Well, okay. You can make fun of him all you want for this, like as being the exposition character. I personally think that they did a decent job of hiding some of the exposition. But his role is as the point person. He's the details guy. So yeah. he's the one who's supposed to know all the details, all the ins and outs, which kind of is like, well, that's why he's telling you. That's why he's spelling stuff. everything yeah. out for you okay. because that's his job uh-huh. on the team. Well, anyways. Saito's the money. <laughs> no, he's the tourist. Well, sure. <laughs> he's also financing um, the whole thing. Yeah. I bought the airline. Yeah. Um, who, what role do you think you would play in this kind of heist? That is a good question. I think that I would like to be the forager mm. because I think I think maybe I could pretend to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not in real life, but in a dream mm-hmm. I could. And not that I'm a great actor or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you can do I a lot know. of voices and characters and stuff. Yeah, right. That, that's what I'm saying. Like it would translate. Yeah. In a dream world, it would work. Yeah. Um, I also think... Like you said that Ariadne is kind of the emotional labor character, which actually isn't really her job on the team. It exactly. just happens to be. So I could be that. Who would you be if you were on this team? Um, I mean, I think Ariadne's job is cool. The architect, yeah. you just make cool things. Totally. Um, but realistically, I think I would be the tourist. That's fair. <laughs> Have a bunch of money and kick back and enjoy the ride. <laughs> I don't think any of us could do any of this stuff. Well. I think it's all really like highly technical. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be. Yeah. I'm just saying if. Yeah. Can't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Right. (laughs) In terms of the actors, like, I think that Christopher Nolan also does such a great job at pulling performances out of unlikely people. Like, Mm -hmm. in every single movie he's made that I can think of, there's someone cast that I'm just like, huh, really? (laughs) And, I mean, I can go through them. Like, we (laughs) we all thought Heath Ledger from Brokeback Mountain oh, could yeah. not play the Joker that's and he won an Oscar. Yeah. Right. We, I agree with you. Like when I was like, Oh, that's the girl from Juno in that. Uh, I was like, huh, I don't know if that will work. And it totally did. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I mean, I haven't seen Tenet, but Edward Cullen is in that as oh, like yeah. one of the guys. I forgot about that. And yeah. I know that's going to work. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't know who Aaron serious... Eckhart was. And like, he played two face and that was really great. Yeah. Um, Harry Styles in Dunkirk. Oh yeah. I mean, he kind of like freaks out the whole time. So it's like, (laughs) I don't know if it's like that much of a stretch, but it all works. Yeah. He pulls really good performances out of people. And I think that, you know, it's not enough that he like wrote this all by himself. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, he's a great director too, in that sense. Yeah. This does lead me to one final thing I want to say about the craft of filmmaking itself. And to me, I think this is what part, part of what makes this movie magical. Mm-hmm. The concept here is that we're exploring and creating dreams, right? Mm-hmm. That dreams are tactile. You can touch them and you can feel them. And I mm-hmm. think though his dreams don't seem like super fantastic and far-fetched, mm-hmm. um, that's part of the world that Nolan's creating here, right? This world where dreams are tactile. Um, it's practical magic. It's things that we don't really fully understand, mm-hmm. but we're aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really great metaphor here that his his brother brings up in the interview as part of like the shooting script booklet. Um, he says, did you intend for this to be kind of a metaphor on filmmaking? Mm. And the answer is no. But it's like, you think about it and you're like, you know, Cobb puts together his team of mm-hmm. all these different people who have a different role mm-hmm. and they go into someone's head and they make reality out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, like Christopher Nolan brings together his team 
And they do that too. They build this world from the ground up. Mm -hmm. This world that was his dream, like his vision. He imagined all these things. He's writing the script, Mm -hmm. but then they make them actually happen. Mm -hmm. I think that's an amazing metaphor, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's like, it's really poignant on this film, but that's true in any film is like, they take something that wasn't real, that wasn't there before. And now it's real. Mm -hmm. And in the case of like certain movies, they're so real that you just look at how they affect people. And it's like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine a world where star Wars didn't exist or, mm-hmm. you know, where Harry Potter was only on the page. Like mm-hmm. that's a real person that I have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. So I think there is something really cool about the metaphor that he wasn't even trying to totally. instill here. It was subconscious. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that. Cause I have, this is like the first, IMDb trivia Okay. and I was going to save it, but it's just so relevant that I have to say it now. Go for it. So in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, uh, Christopher Nolan explained that he based the roles of the Inception team um, to roles that are used in filmmaking. So Cobb is the director, Arthur is the producer, Ariadne is the production designer, Ian is the actor, Saito is the studio, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Fisher is the audience. And he said, in trying to write a team-based creative process, I wrote the one I know. You know, I think that makes sense. You draw from like what you, what you know. And so when he was putting this together, he was like, oh, well, you need someone to finance this project. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It all makes sense. It's a dream. So you can play around with the, Mm -hmm. like, does this actually make sense or not a Mm -hmm. little bit, but. Yeah. Yeah. You pull from what you know. I mean, details, you know, a lamppost, a screenwriter, but never from the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Memory. Yeah. So I think the last, my closing thought on this, nobody asked, but, (laughs) 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 but I think this is his best work. Whoa. I know. Hot hot take, take, hot hot take. take. (laughs) Um, He's done a lot of great films. Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight is a great film. Mm -hmm. I think, um, Prestige, Prestige, Interstellar. Prestige is really good. Yeah. Um, Interstellar is good. Anyways, he's done some really great films. I think this is his best just because it really, I think one, it's so original. And two, like, it just really is something I've never seen before. Yeah, totally. I think most of his other works are based on something. And... This one is like all completely him. Mm-hmm. So that originality does like go a long way for me. And this is a great example of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is also in my top five. Wow. With Moana. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we know two of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe someday you'll get the rest. Yeah. Let's see. It's time, folks, for some milk tea trivia. Woo! All right. So we kind of sprinkled some trivia throughout this podcast already. Sure did. Um, But this is one of my favorites. So we all know uh, the song, the kick song, right? The song that plays when it's like time to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name of the song, but we all know it, right? (laughs) Um, It's the one song that plays a ton in the movie. Exactly. Okay, you got it. Um, So it's a French song by Edith Piaf, who, so Marianne Cotillard, I'm Uh, butchering her name. (laughs) She plays Maul. The same woman who plays Maul. (laughs) She plays Maul in the... um, in the film. She's French. Anyways, she also played Edith Piaf in La Vie and Rose ah. um, in 2007. And so Edith Piaf, like I said, is the woman who sang that song. That's the song in the kick. Uh, Christopher Nolan has stated that this is pure coincidence. Wow. Um, after she was cast, Nolan intended to change the song to eliminate really? speculation on the subject. But composer Hans Zimmer persuaded him to keep it. That's so cool. And you know what? Because I am so cultured, you know, as a high school student, I actually watched this film. Oh, (laughs) weird. And and so I did put those things together and I was like, huh, (laughs) interesting. (laughs) So that's a fun fact, right? Yeah. Um, Let's see. There's a lot of like 
fun facts about people's names. So, for example, Yusef is the Arabic form of Joseph. You probably knew this. Maybe sure, not. Yeah. Okay. Um, the biblical <laughs> figure from Genesis uh, 37 uh, 50 through 50. Is that how you? Anyways. Yeah. You can you just had, say from Genesis. From Genesis. The book, not the band. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who had the gift of interpreting dreams. He was sold out by his brothers to slavery. Through his gift of dream interpretation, he helped Pharaoh to prepare for the disaster of the seven lean years and was rewarded as a result. The same story is also told in the Quran. Um, I didn't know that. Dom Cobb, Dom, Dom Cobb's main objective is to get home. Dom is the word for home in most Slavic languages, oh. Polish, Russian, Serbian, Croatian, etc. That's a fun fact. Derived from the Latin word domus, domus, words like domesticated and domici- domicile all yeah. share the s- same dom root. Ah, very clever. So there's a what lot does Ariadne that. mean? Because I think to me this is one of those like Christopher Nolan names that it's like, why couldn't you just name your character like Mary or something? They <laughs> always have to have these like. Well, you know what? There's also a fun fact about how like their names spell out dream. Oh, like, really? Dom. That one's in here. Robert. Somewhere. Robert, Ames, <laughs> Arthur, Mal, Saito. That's cool. And if you add Peter, Ariadne, and Yusef, the whole makes dreams pay, which Ooh, is what they do cool. for a mind thief. Okay. So in Greek mythology, Ariadne is the daughter of King Minos of Crete. She helped Theseus find the way out of Min- Minotaur's labyrinth by giving him a sword and a ball of red fleece thread that she was spinning. So she kind nice. of helps Dom. Yeah. Escape from his labyrinth so of sorts. Oh, that's cool. I got a fun fact for you. What's up? Do you know what you are called if you're a person from Crete? A Cretan? A Cretan. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, though. Oh. So there. I am left with one question at the end of all of this that I'll mm-hmm. pose to you and our listeners. So... Every time I watch this movie, I think I understand it less than I did the time before. <laughs> I felt really high and mighty because I walked out of it in 2010 being like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's pretty straightforward. They go in a dream, they plant an idea, and they leave. And the more I watch it, the less I'm confident in that. So a lot of question about the top mm-hmm. and the spinning at the end. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in this film for the first time that the top is malls. Mm-hmm. And it's stated more than once that a totem is something that should be only your own. Mm-hmm. You don't let anyone else touch it or hold it mm-hmm. because only you, the owner, can know the weight and the size and the dimensions. Mm-hmm. What do you think it means for Cobb that his totem once belonged to someone else? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, but I think it's like made to add to the ambiguity and the blurred lines. So yeah, it, th- it definitely throws things into doubt. Mm-hmm. Well, what's great about a movie like this is I think those details exist that, you know, part of me wonders, like, is this intentional at all? Or is it just kind of like at some point we're so confused and compelled to explore mm-hmm. that we start reading into things, everything, mm-hmm. whether this is intended or not, as a clue and it's a sign. It's a, um, what's it called? In Clue, where they were like... A red herring? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. There you have it. That's all I got. (laughs) Well, folks, that brings us to about the end of our podcast here. And not just this particular episode, but what was a really compelling and exciting season to record. Mm -hmm. Hopefully to listen to as well. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot. You know, I think making a podcast is a lot harder than it seems. <laughs> and so I'm grateful, Alyssa, for all your help. You've been a fabulous co-host and oh, editor. Thank you. Um, thank you for the folks that have joined us uh, along the way to listen to us break down some of our favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I do hope that you, as a listener, come away with a little sense of what makes movies magic. Um, And if not, then a sense of like appreciation for these films and what they mean. Because I think there's a lot of films here that that mean a lot to me that I didn't realize Mm -hmm. meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you've helped me appreciate 
movies more. Um, I've always loved going to the movies. It's always been a part of like, it was a part of my upbringing. And mm. um, now I have a better grasp of like, why do I love movies? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's been a lot of fun. And I hope to be back in 2021. Me too. So in order to make that happen, <laughs> here's what you could do. You can subscribe and you can leave us a review. And when we get those reviews, we will know that there are people out there listening and we will know that we need to come back for a second season. Yes. Where we will explore perhaps a brand new topic altogether. Yeah. Uh, with a new set of movies. New you set can, of movies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> best of all. You can share this with a friend. Give us a shout out on social media. Um, those things, the word of mouth advertising really, really helps. So, you know, we're told to cover our mouths these days and in public, that is true. But on the internet, <laughs> give us a shout out. Mm -hmm. Until next time, I'm Alyssa. And I'm Gino. Stay safe out there and happy holidays. <laughs>